Now, moving on to Spirit Wars. This has been amazing. Um, Pastor Jake and Pastor Steve just brought it, and they talked about some really interesting things, uh, amazing things, fighting for peace. If you remember, I remember every one of them. Uh, living in a haunted house. Uh, we talked also about the rules of engagement. And it's interesting that we're actually including the idea of the wilderness in this series of spiritual wars. And there is a reason for that. I actually added a little bit. So my, my, my title today is The Wilderness or My Wilderness because we're going to make it personal. And when we think about the wilderness, I want you to ask or just put in your mind three very important questions that we're going to be going back and forth and discussing. When we talk about the wilderness, I want you to ask yourself, where are you? What are you doing? And what is your position? When I talk about my wilderness, I need to ask myself, where am I? What am I doing? And what is my position? And in order to do that, I, I can't help but think about three heroes of the Bible. The first one that comes to mind is Moses and his experience in the wilderness. So we're going to go through those three heroes of the Bible. We'll finish with Jesus, of course. But Moses, as you all know the story, he killed an Egyptian. He was aware of the fact that he was a Jew. And so when he saw the affliction of his people that rose up in him this righteous indignation and he wanted to do something about it. Um, the problem is a lot of times we want to do something but we end up doing the wrong thing which makes the whole thing wrong. And so Moses wanting to do something, he actually killed an Egyptian. And when that happened, he runs into the desert. He realizes before he runs into the desert, everybody knows about it, even though he thought that he did it in secret. And so his sin found him, he runs away, he finds himself in the wilderness. And so when he is in the wilderness, as you know the story, he sees this burning bush. And he tells to himself, I want to stop and see this natural phenomenon, this miracle. And in that burning bush, he realizes that this is not just a burning bush that, that is not um, burning out and disappearing, it's not being consumed, actually God is speaking to him through the burning bush. But you see, it had to be in the wilderness because imagining him tending to the sheep or being in the town and because he's the prince of Israel, everybody knows him. And imagine the burning bush is here, but everybody, hey Moses, how are you doing? Hey, five. Hey Moses, how is the palace? You have a good life there, don't you? Or sheep and bear and all those distractions most likely he would have not even noticed the burning bush on the side. But you see what happens when you are in the wilderness is God has removed all of the distractions. So in that place of lack of distractions, Moses saw the one thing that really was different. He saw this burning bush and he was like, I've seen, this is a desert, it's hot, but this one is not getting consumed. And that drew his attention and he went there and in the area where there is lack of distractions, lack of noises, lack of voices, he actually ended up finding God because he realized that God is speaking to him through the burning bush. And then when that happened, 
When God speaks to him, God reveals himself first to Moses. He asks him for his name. He says, my name is I am who I am. The name that Jewish people until this day fear to speak out. And they omit some of the vows or all of them when they write it is a sign of reverence. That is the name of God that he revealed to Moses. And after he revealed himself, he revealed to Moses his identity. So after God revealed himself, he helped Moses reveal himself in the sense of discover who he is. And so Moses discovered his assignment, his destiny. Moses ended up discovering his own identity. All of that, all of what I just said, happened in the wilderness. Away from distractions, away from voices, in a place that is difficult to live, actually ended up being a blessing to Moses because that is where, in the wilderness, is where he found God, where he found his identity and his destiny. Then we think about John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is painted as a very strange man. He wears strange clothing. He, he eats strange things. He's a strange person. But then we find out that that strange person is the one that prepares the way for Jesus. And you are John the Baptist, whatever you are. And if this world does not see you as a little bit strange, think about it. Because we are supposed to be seen as strange and different. We eat strange and different food, which, by the way, uh, I think it was called GQ magazine or JQ whatever magazine put the Bible in their top 10 of most irrelevant, unimportant books. So when you eat your spiritual food of the Bible, you are a strange person because you're eating irrelevant and unimportant food. Right? And when we put on the armor of God, we are dressed strange and differently as well. So that is John the Baptist. He's a strange man preparing the way of Jesus. I hope we prepare the way for Jesus with people that we encounter as well. Amen. And so all of a sudden, we see him as the story unfolds that he is preaching courageously and he attracts multitudes of people. He attracts people who end up believing, who end up being baptized. An amazing ministry, a revival of sorts is what happens in the life of John the Baptist. So many repent and get baptized, and then all of a sudden, in the wilderness, he realizes that he needs to actually humble himself. He was so popular, people were going in droves, and all of a sudden, he sees Jesus, and he realizes he needs to humble himself so that Jesus can be magnified and elevated. And he says, I'm not even worthy of tying your sandals, Jesus. What you talking about, Willis? You want me to baptize you? And Jesus says, yes, you need to do what is right. We are fulfilling scripture. And so in the wilderness, this John who became this charismatic preacher about Jesus, Jesus says about the strange man living in the wilderness Truly, I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. All of that, his ministry, 
him preparing the way for Jesus, his humbling himself, the multitudes of people accepting his message, repenting and then being baptized, all of that happens in the wilderness. And then I can't help but think about Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness. And so what happened is, we see the story how he's tempted by the devil. As soon as Jesus is revealed as God's son, and we know the testimony of coming out of the water and the testimony of three, because by the way, every testimony shall be what? Testified and confirmed by what? Two or three witnesses. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are there. And the voice of the prophet, John the Baptist, so remove Jesus, even though he testified it about himself, but God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist is the witness of how many? So that is the fulfillment of the requirement of the law of the Old Testament, that everything needs to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so the witnesses are there, and Jesus is having a time of his life. He has been revealed, and God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what happens next is off to the wilderness, Jesus. Wow, what a, what a crescendo. Surrounded by nothing, right? This is what happens in his life. So he goes there to be tempted, and we know the story. We're not going to talk, go through that. This is not the point of the message. But he gets tested. What actually happens is the devil makes him question his identity. Do you see the parallel of how even people today struggle with finding their identity? Because really the devil is up to his old tricks. There is nothing new. It is packaged differently. But it is really all the same. And so Jesus is tempted to question his own identity. And so when that happens, Jesus fights off the temptations with the proper use of God's word, proper use of God's word, because the devil also used, but he actually misused and misquoted scripture. So Jesus fights off all of those temptations by the proper use of God's word and by standing on God's promises. When all of that happens, what is fascinating to me is that Jesus remained steadfast and he remained close to God in the wilderness instead of our human natural tendency to question God, to lose faith when we are in our wilderness. Isn't that true that when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we don't get close to God, we get far away from God? We start questioning things, we lose faith, doubt enters our lives and our minds, and we find ourselves even more weak, and we find ourselves so vulnerable. Not so in Jesus. I find this absolutely fascinating that the place of the wilderness got him closer to God, and instead of questioning in the sense of doubting, he stood on God's word. And when you do that which is unnatural and when you find yourself in the wilderness and you draw near to God and you stand firm on his promises and when you stand firm on his words, the Bible says that the devil will live for a time. Because that's what happened in the life of Jesus. Scripture says that after he fought off those three temptations, the devil left 
seeking for an opportune time. The Bible doesn't say he left forever, obviously, but he did. So every time you find yourself wrestling with ideas and thoughts and strongholds, when you find yourself alone in the wilderness, instead of doing that which is natural, get close to God. Read the word. Pray. Seek him. Stand on his promises. Do not stand on your feelings. Stand on his promises. Amen. And when that happens, the devil's going to say, this guy's a fanatic. He's a basket case. I'm out of here for now. That's what he's going to do because he's going to realize that he's wasting his time with someone who gets close to Jesus instead of going far away from him. I'd rather be radical and fanatic for Jesus than to be fanatical and radical for anything else that this world offers me. Amen? So when that happens, he leaves. But we see a lot of times when we're in the wilderness, we say things like, woe me. And why did this happen to me? You start questioning and start doubting. And, and we, we play this, we have this victim mentality, don't we? In our, in our society, in our country, everybody, not everybody, but most people, especially politicians, nobody's ever their fault, right? Yeah. Everything is somebody else's fault. But you see, Jesus didn't play the victim card. And I'll tell you why. What really happened? We need to dive deeper into this. So Jesus successfully passes this test. He leaves the wilderness. And what happens next is he actually enters his ministry. Because we see that as soon as Jesus leaves the wilderness, he enters into his ministry. How about you and your wilderness? How are we doing in those times when we find ourselves in our personal desert, in our personal wilderness? In the beginning, I mentioned those three important questions. Where am I? What am I doing? And what is my position? So, what do we think about the wilderness? What exactly is the wilderness? Because I need to ask myself, where am I? And what I bet that most of us ask in those situations is, at least me, until I change my perspective about all of this, is am I being punished? How many of you are there with me? Have you thought that? Two people, thank you. Everybody else is perfect. Great, great. Thank you. Right? We, we ask like, why, why is this happening to me? God, am I being punished? Why are you punishing me? Why am I here? Do you feel like it's a place of torment? Do you feel like it's a place that is cursed that you're there? Where am I? Am I being punished, God? What did I do wrong? Where did I miss the mark? No judgment. We are all in the same boat. We all think that. It's natural to think that when things are not going my way, I start thinking that God is not blessing me and I must have done something wrong. That is why I'm here. Where are you? Where are you? Why are you there? Well, maybe it's not a place of punishment. Maybe this is just what I think. Have you ever like read scripture? Like maybe you read this verse or this chapter like gazillions of times and all of a sudden you think to yourself, snap, I've never seen this before. Have you, have, have you done that? Like, I've read this verse like millions of times. And how can I not seen this before? It's like, it's like peeling the layers of something, right? And, and every time you get deeper and deeper into the word, and God has this treasure hunting game with you. The more you dig in, the more he finds. But you see, the Bible, the word of God is multi-layer. And it gives you revelation depending on your spiritual maturity. 
And the more you mature in Christ, the more he peels off the layers and you see deeper and more spiritual things. So I guess I was very immature for years because it took me many years to see this, which is okay. But I guess I got there eventually because I have read this so many times. And so in Luke 4.1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And I'm like, snap, why did I never see that before? I mean, I saw it, but I didn't see it. I read it, but I never realized it. Because one of the most profound truth in this verse is that Jesus didn't just end up there. He was actually literally led by the Spirit to be there. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because you see, it's one thing if Jesus just ended up in the wilderness and and got in his awesomeness and, and sovereignty and omnipotence and omnipresence and whatever you want to call it, he could have said, well, son, you ended up there. I mean, I'm God. I can use this opportunity because everything can work out for good for those who love the Lord according to his, right? So God can use that. But you see, it's not just, just end up there. He didn't, Jesus didn't just decide on his own. He, he wasn't pushed by the crowd. He didn't just end up there by accident. God saying, uh, I, I can use that opportunity because nothing catches me by surprise. No, God actively sent him there by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was literally on purpose led into the wilderness for a reason. And when I'm reading this, I'm like, that changes everything. Because God didn't just say, well, you ended up and I'm going to use it. God said, no, you need to. You must be in the wilderness. And then I'm reading in Matthew 4, 1, he brings a little bit of a different layer, a, a different angle, and he says this, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I see, what am I doing there? I've been led there. And what is your position? I'm going to be tempted. So the reason why Jesus was actively led in the wilderness was for no other reason than to be tempted. That was his next assignment. So next time when you find yourself in the wilderness, maybe you should realize and tell yourself, God has a reason for me to be here. And if I feel tempted, if I feel like this is a test, God has led me to this place. This does not catch God by accident. This is not just something that happened to me. This is his will. And that is so important for us to realize that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit for no other reason than to be tested. And so in the wilderness, it is his time there was accompanied by fasting. Jesus fasted and prayed. And we know, at least most of us, hopefully we know the reason why we fast. And the Bible is very, very clear. We need to weaken the flesh and we need to refocus on the heavenly things. Because if I need to have a heavenly perspective on why am I here... What am I doing and what is my position? If I need to have a heavenly perspective, then I need to focus on heavenly things. Right? So I need to fast and I need to refocus on the heavenly things in order to to, to receive a heavenly perspective. And we wonder why we have a bunch of Christians who are so carnal, who have the liberal media perspective because this is their daily bread. I'm sorry, but it's true. We have people who are so secular when the daily bread, 
is secular food and not the word of God. Wow. So when he gets this heavenly perspective, I, I, I love this quote from Chris Vallotton who says, the wilderness does not test our character. It tests our faith. You see, Jesus' faith was tested with every one of those times. Bow before me. Turn the bread into, the, the, this rocks into, into a bread. Come, go and jump. His faith is the one that was actually tested. And I love what James 1 verses 2 and 3 say. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials in various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When our faith is being tested and we become more steadfast, later on that creates more and more of the character that we need and the integrity we need. But the wilderness is not going to test your character, it's going to test your faith. And so the question is, who do I place my faith in? Not what do I place my faith in, but who do I place my faith in? Because we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's the cornerstone. Amen? Amen. He's our Lord and Savior. I'm going to stand on His principles and on His promises. So our faith has been tested. I would like to share with you quickly going back to what I mentioned about Jesus being led versus Jesus having, been, having ended up in the wilderness. The will of God is twofold. It's like, imagine like a fork in the road. One side of the will of God is things that he does. The Bible says in Genesis, he created the heaven and the earth. He spoke them into existence. Things that God ordains and they happen are called the ordained will of God. Those are things that God is actively involved in. When God created you and he wanted you to be on the earth, that is ordained will of God. Whether or not your parents planted or not, you have been ordained and God has purpose for your life. There is not a single life on this earth that had not been ordained by Almighty God. I want you to know this morning we have a purpose and a reason for being here. You're not an accident. You're not just a chemistry experiment. You're not just oops. God ordained. He loves you and he has a purpose for your life. Come on. That is the ordained will of God. Think that he speaks into existence. Think that he makes. And so when that happens, there are also things that are not God's ordained will. Because I don't believe that God ordained people to be sick. Amen. Sickness is a result of the fall. God never ordained for Adam and Eve to sin. Because otherwise we're removing free will out of the equation. God warned them and said, do not take from this tree. And they did. And I know there's people, I'm not going to talk about denominations who would disagree with me. But when God said, do not take from this tree, he either meant it or not. And I believe God meant what he said. So all I'm saying is that there are things in our lives. I'm not going to say that every suffering is the same. But it was not God's will for sin or for sickness to enter our lives. Those are things that he allowed to happen because our fallen nature, because we're fallible, because we have a free will and we have choices to make and then we live by the decisions we make and we reap what we saw. 
Right? Everybody agrees with that? So those things that he allows to happen are called the permissible will of God. So we have a twofold will, God's ordained will and God's permissible will. Now I'm going to go back and ask you this question. When the Bible says in Luke and Matthew that Jesus was led by the Spirit, which will of God was that? His ordained or his permissible? It was his ordained. You see, it was God's ordained will for him to be in the wilderness. And I'm telling you, it is God's ordained will for you to be in the wilderness for a certain period of time. Why is that important? Because it changes everything. It helps me understand that I didn't just end up in a place where I suffer, where I feel alone, where it's difficult. It is different when I understand that it is God's ordained will for me to be in a place where there is no plenty. When I'm suffering, when I'm struggling, when things are really hard, when I'm really struggling with my mind with some thoughts, when I'm struggling with my relationships, when I'm raising my hands to God and saying, God, why is this happening to me? It is all about perspective, realizing that it is God's ordained will for you to be there and he has something to accomplish in your life, in you and through you. That is why Jesus went and he got close to God because he realized and he knew that it is God's ordained will for him to be in the, in, the, in the desert. How do we know that he knew that? He must have told his disciples. How do I know that? Because he was alone. How do we know the story of what happened in the desert when it was just Jesus and the devil? Because I guarantee you that Jesus went back and he told his disciples of what happened and they wrote it down. It was just him and the enemy. And so when that happened, <clears throat> Jesus must have gone back and he must have, when he gathered his disciples, he's the one that told them, I was in the desert and it was God's will. I was led by the Spirit to be there. Jesus knew from the very beginning, before he even entered the wilderness, that it is God's will to be there. I want you to know when you go through the wilderness of your life, that you need to be aware. There's not only that God is with you, God sent you there. God's ordained will is for you to be there for a reason. It didn't catch you by surprise. It's not something that just happened. And Jesus was fully aware. When that happens, when your perspective changes, because Valentin says, when God closes one door, he opens another. But man, there is hell in between those two doors. Right? And sometimes in our wilderness, God closes one door. He hasn't opened another door. And in that period of time, sometimes it feels like hell, doesn't it? Yes, yes it does. But when I'm in that hell and I realize that God's ordained will has sent me there, it changes everything. Because I know that if God sent me there, he will be with me there. I can stand on his promises. I can look the devil in the, in the eyes and say, you suck. Right? Because God has sent me there. And he's going to take care of everything. We feel like victims. We feel like we are punished. And we feel like, I did this to myself. But if my perspective changes and I realize that God has led me to this place. And there's a process that needs to happen. And I'm going to come out on the other side more refined. And stronger and more steadfast. Then in the middle, I'm ready to fight. And I know that God is with me and everything's gonna be okay because God led me there. God knows what he's doing. God loves me. 
He has the best thing in mind for my life. It changes everything. Perspective changes everything. Amen? We need to believe that. We need to believe that. When you're in the wilderness, it is your secret place. It's your private place. Nobody's watching. It's just you and the enemy. Just like Jesus. There was no audience. There was no cameras. Nothing like that was happening. But you see, when Jesus passed the test in his private life, God opened the door for him and he graduated into his public ministry. But when you and I are not faithful in the private place, we're not going to graduate in what God has for us next. That is for somebody. That is why so many evangelical leaders are being exposed in front of the whole world because they were not faithful in the wilderness between them and the Lord. They were not faithful in their private lives. And so God exposed them for everyone to see because the Bible says that we need to be faithful in the small before God gives us more. Amen? Amen. Think about this. When you are with God alone in the wilderness, when no one is watching, when it's easy to be something that we maybe later hate that we became, it is easy to turn off the switch. It is easy to get angry. It is easy to get frustrated. It is easy to take a break from the Lord, right? But if I realize that I'm in a moment of test and God has sent me here to be faithful, to be steadfast, and when nobody's watching, I'm the same everywhere and right now. And when I realize that when I pass this test and when I'm faithful in the secret place, in my private place, with God and me alone, when I realize when that happens, and when I'm faithful in the private and God's going to open to me something in the public, it changes everything. It encourages me. It challenges me. It makes me to take this journey in the desert seriously. And so Jesus did that. The devil left. He passed this test with flying colors. And the Lord opened a door for his ministry. When you and I are in the wilderness... We can hear clearly because the voice of God is clear. There is no other distractions. You wilderness, as I mentioned earlier, it is your graduation party. Because when you pass that final test, just like in high school, whatever, then your ministry is next. It's all about perspective this morning, remember? We need to see the desert as a graduation. We need to see the desert as a God's ordained will. My wife and I, this is going to get serious and personal for a few minutes. We faithfully served in the church for 13 years. I thought I have a friend who is a, my best friend. And I, my wife and I really wanted to do everything. We, you know, played guitar and preached. And I, I was a youth pastor for like forever and we'll send them to the Indiana Dunes. We lived in Illinois. And we were like, don't worry, I will, I will open the door and I will lead the prayer. And, and then we'll play and then I'll preach and then we'll pray for people. And we wanted them to be free. We were three pastors on the rotation schedule. Like I would preach like once a month or twice and then they will rotate. And it was a great team. I thought so. And we felt more and more really alone and kind of used without really a relationship. It really hurt. And we found ourselves for the last few years in an incredibly hellish wilderness. Before my wife and I had Noah, my wife had a miscarriage. And it was very difficult for us. 
And I went and I told our lead pastor that my wife had lost our child. And my best friend, who I've known before we came to, to America, told me, hey, I'm going to come and we'll, we'll spend time together. I'll come to your house and we'll pray together and you, you guys need someone. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And days passed, more and more days passed. And my wife would just flip on the bed like a washing machine, turn around, can't find a place. I'm right there next to her. She's looking at her phone and she's looking at me and she says, why is pastor, I'm not going to mention names, not here. Why has he forgotten us? I need to talk to someone. And I know I'm there, but sometimes you need your pastor. And it hurts so much that after all of these years, in the time that is the most hurtful, we find ourselves in the desert completely alone, left in the most painful time of our lives. When we had a miscarriage, our pastor was nowhere to be found. And we looked at the phone and that moment never happened. And I told my other pastor, the other friend, and he found some excuses for him and he was busy. And I was hoping that he would say, well, he's busy, can I come? And that never happened. It never even occurred to him that maybe he can come and help us. And time passed. We felt led after time to, uh, to leave. And, and it was really time the Lord has closed the door. And we were going to a wonderful church. It's called Chicago Tabernacle. It's an aged church, downtown, downtown Chicago. And that was our desert. That's where we started going after we left this church where I was on staff for 13 years. And one day, after the Lord has given us our wonderful kid, Noah, um, my wife sends me to go get diapers in the middle of the night. And of course, I say yes. And I go and I see from afar the Walmart where I am, the Bible school that I graduated from. And all these memories flooded in. And I started remembering how good and faithful God was. And I bought the, the diapers and I said, I'm going to go pray in front of my college. And I'm going to go circle like crazy, like this is, this is my, my city that I need to circle seven times. And the walls are going to come down. And I'm, and I'm walking around and I'm praying for the walls to come down. It's one, two o'clock in the morning. I just bought the diapers. And it was just me and the Lord. And I'm just circling around and praying and I'm forgiving and I'm asking. You have no idea how alone we were. You have no idea how we felt used and spat out in the moment where we lost a child and nobody gave a flip about us. And we went and I circled and I prayed for half an hour and I circled more than it was, maybe 70 times, not seven. And I, and I remember one time I was circling, I felt this release in the spirit. I felt like, I circled enough. I'm all prayed up. The most wonderful moments in my life were in the desert because I decided to be close to God instead of wagging my finger at Him to know that He is with me. And I talked to my friend and I mentioned my wife and I prayed to God and I said, God, it's been five, six months since we left the church. Nobody has called us to say, we miss you. Nobody called us to say, where are you? Did you find a church? How are you doing? And in that stillness of this moment, when that happened, it was my burning bush. 
Because I could have never heard that, I would have dismissed it. And God spoke to me and he said, Mario, do you know why so much hurts that nobody has called you? He said, because you serve me and you expect the praise of man. And from all the ugliness, I needed to look into my own ugliness. Do you know that when God deals with you, he's not mocking other fellow pastors or Christians. He cares about you and your heart. If you hear a voice that says, oh, this pastor is horrible. Oh, I love you, but this pastor, that's not God. Because God could have told me what they did is wrong, but he didn't do that, even though it could have been the right answer. God could have told me, this church doesn't know he looked. When I was in my wilderness, God told me, Mario, you need to learn to serve me without expecting anything from anybody. And I was like, what? From everything that I expected to hear, this is what I'm hearing. And it melted my heart because I felt the love of the Father saying, I'm dealing with you. This is your burning bush moment. This is about you and me, nobody else. And one day I'm walking around and I'm like, man, how am I going to forgive this guy? How am I going to pray? And I remember repenting and saying, God, I'm going to serve you from now on without expecting a pat on the back, without expecting any, any consolation, any reward, without anything. I'm just going to serve you without any expectation. I will, I will wash the bathroom. I, I, don't, I don't expect any. I just want to serve you. And I remember forgiving him. And I think it was the next day or a few days later, I get a phone call. And it's him. And he says, Mario, I just want to tell you, I miss you. Our church misses you. You left a big hole in our church. But you see, I had to release first. I had to deal with my wilderness first before God spoke to him after I dealt with my sin and with my wilderness first. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about? And so my message from my heart to you is... Your desert needs to turn into your dessert. Your desert needs to turn into your dessert. Where you find the sweetness of the relationship with God and you allow him to remove all the dirt and all of the sin from your heart and tell you, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter where you need to change and what you need to do. And when you become teachable and molded and you accept it and say, Lord, I just forgive. I accept what you're telling me and I want to change. I know that at that moment I graduated. A week later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. I heard that he became the lead pastor of a church. And uh, he invited us to go to his church. And I ended up being his associate and I did children's ministry. I graduated. And the Lord has something next for me. Why, why is that important for all of us? Maybe you're coming this morning and you feel so beat up and you feel so alone and you feel that there's no one around you. You feel like nobody cares. 
You feel like your best friend has stabbed you in the back. I'm there, right there with you. Before we came here, I had a meeting with him. By the way, that church I told you, I've been back a few times to preach as a guest speaker. And I played worship. I poured out my heart. And I told him that I have forgiven him. And I brought a sign about friendship, how a friend is closer than a brother. And I said, despite all of the pain, and I felt you had stabbed me in the back, if you call me tomorrow, I'm going to drive from Wisconsin 3 o'clock in the morning, and I will come and help you because I have forgiven you. But none of that would have happened if I didn't embrace my wilderness and if I didn't understand that God is sending you in your wilderness with his ordained will, and he needs to purify you. He needs to work in your heart. He needs to make you more like Jesus. There's things that need to fall off. There are things that need to refine. There are things that need to change. There are things that need to happen so you can be stronger and ready to graduate. And that's why your desert is your dessert. It is your graduation cake that somebody will slap in your face. And you can say, I graduated! I'm free from pain. I'm free. I have forgiven. I'm a new person. I'm a person who loves and forgives regardless. I don't expect people to praise me. I am free of myself and my insecurities. I'm free from serving God for the wrong reasons. Whatever it is that you struggle with, embrace your wilderness. Believe that God has sent you in the wilderness for a reason, for a time such as this. And say, God, my desert is my dessert. I'm going to delight in you. Because you are more than enough. Your friendship is all I need. Your presence is all I ask for. Relationship with you is what I long for. Jesus understood that. John the Baptist understood that. Moses understood that. And my prayer is that you understand that as well. Your desert is your graduation. Your desert is your dessert. Your desert is not an accident. It is God's ordained will to do great works in you so that you graduate into whatever God has next for you. Let's bow down our heads. There's people here who will probably say, I am alone in my desert because I don't even know who Jesus is. I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never accepted Jesus, or maybe you have been mad at Jesus and you feel like this is your homecoming party today and you feel like you need to come back to Jesus. This is your moment. I want to tell you that God loves you so much and He wants to have a relationship with you. This is the same message for our online audience. If you have never accepted Jesus, if you feel alone in the desert because you don't know Jesus and you don't think He is there with you, I would like to give you a chance if you want to raise your hand and give me a signal and say, yeah, that's me. That is your moment of reuniting with Jesus. If you have been mad at Jesus, this is your time to say, yes, I understand that God is good and I have been blaming Him for all of these things, but none of that is His fault. As we're still looking down, I want to share something. I want to pray and if this is you, you can nod. You don't have to respond. That is fine. 
But maybe some of us need to embrace our wilderness instead of fighting it. And I know that this resonates with a lot of you. Maybe you need to tell yourself, I have to get close to God. I have to trust Him. And I have to become pliable in His hand in this time of wilderness instead of fighting Him. Thank you for this. I appreciate it, sir. I want you to expect God to do an amazing work in your heart. And I want you to start expecting that there is a graduation coming and there is a victory coming in your life. It's just around the corner. If that is you, let's all pray together. Father God, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, we just repeat, Father God, I just, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and three days later you rose from the dead and that you're coming back with power. Please accept me into your kingdom. I want to be a child of God. I'm going to make you, I'm making you Lord and Savior of my life and I will follow you forever. Father God, I also pray for my friends, for my family, for my brothers and sisters. If there's anyone here right now who is fighting and resisting their wilderness, I pray, Lord, that they will embrace it, that they would see with a heavenly perspective that God himself has sent them to a place such as this and that God is doing an amazing work of purifying, of changing and transforming so that we could be less like us and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that there is a new degree, a new level of expectation in each and every one of us, that graduation is coming, that victory is coming, and our desert is our dessert because of the things that are going to come as a result of this. Forgive us for our doubts. Forgive us for our bitterness. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here like me who needs to forgive, that right now in this moment they make a decision to forgive and to forget, to let it go. And that's going to be a trigger for what comes next. You are good, good God. We thank you that we serve a God like this. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.